Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Harrison Burton, driver of the number 12 Dex Imaging Toyota Camry, and you're listening to Pit Stop with Tim Despain. Live from Talladega, you're in the Pit Stop with Tim Despain and Stephen Wilson on the Speedway Digest Radio Network, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher Radio, and your Apple Podcast. Nation. I'm Tim Spain, alongside my good friend from up there in the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, Stephen Wilson, SpeedwayDigest.com. Uh, we got a lot to talk about tonight, but at this time, let's go ahead and get the invocation going, and we'll bring Stephen on shortly. Uh, so, if you would, bow your heads, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Elkins there, employee of Tidal Super Speedway, singing the National Anthem. Stephen, how you doing tonight, my friend? You doing okay, bud? Yeah, I'm doing just fine. 
That's good. That's good. Stephen, we got a lot to talk about. Coming up here at the bottom of the hour, we've got uh, from Fox Sports 1, Mr. Adam Alexander. He's coming on, and we've had a lot of media buzz about Kyle Busch. Uh, the statement that I mean, his interview there at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway with uh, ESPN's uh, uh, Bob Parker. Would you like to talk a little bit about, I mean, you know, you and I have talked. Uh, we've looked through the rule book. There's nothing says anywhere that Kyle Bush did anything wrong. And I have uh, 10.3.2 driver responsibilities in the in the NASCAR Monster Energy Sprint Cup Series rule book. Uh, I have looked and looked and looked, and I cannot find nothing. The only thing I found down here is uh, the winning driver must present the vehicle to Victory Lane after the completion of the race in a timely manner. Uh, this is Section A. Uh, 10.3.2 driver responsibilities in NASCAR Kempenwork. I mean, the NASCAR Monster Energy Sprint Cup Series rulebook. NASCAR officials will determine what constitutes the timely manner of the driver and team, you know, blah, 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 blah. The winning driver must report to the media center for post race interviews upon the conclusion of victory lane ceremonies, unless otherwise authorized by NASCAR. Then to jump into where Kyle Bush fell into the category. Under uh, Section K, the second and third place drivers must report to the media center for the post-race interviews upon the conclusion of the race, otherwise, unless otherwise authorized by NASCAR. Stephen, uh, like I text you, I've dug and dug and dug, and uh, Kyle Busch has done nothing wrong. No, I mean, he, he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, you know, NASCAR will typically bring the first, uh, the winner, obviously, and then they'll be the second and third place finishers, and then sometimes there'll be other people that'll come in post race uh, interviews. Most everybody else will conduct their interviews on pit road or uh, behind pit road, whatever the case may be, for television, radio, etc. And they'll be, uh, but those aren't, you know, mandatory interviews. Um, but usually for second and third are typically uh, what NASCAR uh, would consider a mandatory interview, bringing them into the media there. However, uh, you know, post-race, at Charlotte Motor Speedway, following the conclusion of the Coca-Cola 600 there at Charlotte Motor Speedway, he uh, just didn't feel like that he uh, really wanted to talk very much. I mean, it was uh, about a 38-second interview, something like that, uh, where, you know, Bob Proffers from ESPN did ask him a question and uh, gave a very short answer, dropped the microphone, and uh, that was the conclusion of the interview for them. Um, I mean, we've seen in the past where other drivers really have given very, very short interviews or have come into the media center. And for those that, you know, on the other end of the spectrum here, you know, fans and things like that that don't get sent into the media center or have watched press pass, things like that, which is free and open to the public. Everybody can, you know, log on to NASCAR.com press pass and, you know, watch these media center interviews post-race. Um, you know, NASCAR will bring, typically bring, you know, the, the, the cycle of events is they'll bring the driver in, whoever's leading the uh, the deal for NASCAR. Uh, you know, they have a, uh, somebody from the Integrated Marketing Communications Department will, will be leading this thing. They'll typically ask a question or two to, to the driver that's sitting there uh, at the podium uh, at talking about, you know, talk about the race, talk about something happens, et cetera, whatever the case may be, they'll typically ask one or two questions and then hand it off to the media. Uh, 
but we've seen, you know, in the past where, you know, there is, you know, these these exchanges where, you know, they'll they'll uh, bring drivers in, and you know, there may be this very short period of, you know, the the uh, the NASCAR official will, will ask a question, and then there'll be no questions at all. So, you know, this this isn't always a complete surprise sometimes, but I think what is uh, I think what the uproar is really about is I think, you know, the, uh, you know, the way in which it was handled. I mean, Kyle Busch finished second out there at the end of the day. Uh, if Martin Truex Jr. Uh, were leading the race, and which he was for a good majority of it out there, uh, Kyle Busch wasn't going to get past him at the end there anyways. He was going to finish second or third at the end of the day. Kyle finished second. But that's where he was most likely going to end up at. Barring any troubles from Martin Truex Jr. out there, uh, Martin Truex Jr. didn't end up winning. He ended up finishing third out there um, to Austin Dillon, the additional race winner on a fuel mileage strategy. But uh, the case is, is that you know, best case scenario, um, that's where he was going to finish at the end of the day, barring you know any unforeseen circumstances. I mean, he did have a strong car, but uh, he he just didn't have a strong enough car to get. Uh, around Martin Truex Jr. if he had been out in front in that late going in the Coca-Cola 600. Yeah, you're <clears throat> excuse me, you're exactly right, Stephen. And you know, uh, you and I both watch social media and we listen to Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. It, I mean, that's been all over everywhere. Uh, yesterday, uh, late night, Sunday night, uh, the Media Center interview there with uh, Bob Parker, sir from ESPN, and I mean, you know. Like we always talk about, I mean, you know, I'm not taking up for Kyle Busch because uh, he's just a general smartass. I'll go ahead and say it. But to some of our listeners that really might not have got to see the uh, the the actual audio, the actual video, like you and I were trying to find, but uh, I've got the actual audio, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play that, Stephen, and we'll sort of. Uh, if you want to call in, the number is 215-383-3681. You're in the pit stop with Tennis Spain and Stephen Wilson. Let's just listen to a little bit of it, Stephen. Just sort of – I know you can't really see it like we have, but we don't know what Kyle Bush went through before he came into the medicine there at Charlotte. Let's go ahead and listen, and listen to a little bit of it. I'll just open it up for any questions for Kyle. Any questions for Kyle? We'll go over here to Bob. I'm not surprised about anything. Congratulations. Any other questions for Kyle? Up in the press box? I'll just open it up for any questions for Kyle. Any questions for Kyle? We'll go over here to Bob. I'm not surprised about anything. Congratulations. Stephen, that was the media center interview there with Kyle Bush yesterday after, uh, or Sunday, late night Sunday after the Coke 600 there. I mean, you know, that's just the way Kyle is. Uh, 
uh, I was fortunate enough, uh, I think it was two years ago at Atlanta Motor Speedway for the Foes of Honor uh, Quick Trip 500. Uh, there, whenever Kerry Thorpe, before Kerry got the uh, the uh, general manager job there at uh, at Darlington Raceway, uh, I asked Kyle. I was the second person to ask Kyle there a uh, a question in the media center, but that was after he won the Xfinity Series race, and I was sort of on. I'm not gonna lie, I was sort of on pins and needles. I did, I didn't know how he was going to come about or how he was going to come toward me, but he was, he was really good. But Steve and I mean, you know, some of these drivers like Kyle, you know, uh, he's had a lot of run-ins with the media, a lot of, uh, derogatory statements that he has made. I mean, do you think it's time that NASCAR maybe needs to pull Kyle off the side and say, Hey, look, man, I mean, you know, you're going to have to calm down. I mean, you know, even though he didn't do nothing wrong, it was just his gesture and I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I don't know if Bob's listening or not, but that was just disrespect to the to Bob Parker from ESPN and disrespect to the media. Well, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't know if it's you know time for NASCAR to turn around and say something. You know, pull him to the slide and do something like that. I mean, you know, when you take a look, I mean, you know, all these new drivers that come through through the diversity program, through the next program, and through the other programs that NASCAR has in place. I mean, they do have a lot of things in which they show these drivers how to how to work with the media and things like that. However, you know, we always say, um, you know, as media, every single week, week in and week out, that you know, drivers need to have more of uh, uh, you know, they need to do more of themselves and. Yeah, yeah, they they need to have more interaction, they need to be more of themselves and not just, you know, the cookie cutter where, you know, they come in, they say the same things week in and week out, and we never really hear anything else out of them. And then, you know, as soon as they do come and say something out of the way, they do something out of the way, and then we're ready to criticize, condemn, and complain because they've done so, you know, even though that we've continued to ask for it time and time again. You know, we've heard the fans, I mean, you know, one of the biggest criticizing moments that we've heard over the last, you know, 10 years or so is Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson is, you know, how many times have we heard that Jimmy Johnson is a drone? He doesn't say anything. And I'm not saying that in a manner of disrespect, but, you know, in the fact that fans have said, you know, he he's kind of vanilla in that aspect. You don't really say, hear him say anything out of the way. He doesn't really, you know, seem to have much emotions about things. He's just kind of that vanilla guy that, you know, says the same thing all the time and he doesn't really break from the mold. Uh, and then, you know, when we do finally get a driver that breaks from the mold, then we criticize them for that fact. So it's kind of like, you know, is it a catch-22 at this point on uh, do we continue asking for drivers to, to break from that mold or do we – or do we ask for all the drivers to be, you know, like Jimmy Johnson and, you know, be that Vidella guy and, you know, don't break from the mold. And then we continue to criticize them for not breaking from the mold. So it's really that catch 22 scenario that we're in that, you know, we're trying to ask them to do two, th- two different things, but criticize them for both. Exactly. Steven. And, you know, you brought up a really good point. there, talking about criticizing far as, uh, you know, NASCAR etiquette. I mean, you know, I don't think, you know, I mentioned that just to sort of get your thought, your thought, does NASCAR need to step in and sort of maybe do some NASCAR etiquette stuff? But, I mean, you know, Kyle Busch, like I said before, you made your statement. We don't know what happened before he walked in that media center. We don't know what happened. We don't know if anything pissed him off or anything. 
But, I mean, you can't take nothing away from Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch can drive the hell out of a damn race car. But, Stephen, before we go on there, uh, you brought up a really good point, and I'm going to talk about Ryan Blanton. Uh, I listened to his media center audio there after he won the uh, 36th annual Hindsense 4K TV 300 there at uh, Charlotte. And this young man has got a lot of, a very lot of composure. I mean, he, 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 uh, he holds himself really, really well. And I know you probably listened to it too. And, uh, Ryan made a very good statement about, there was a, there was a media member there in the, in the, in the medicine room that, that asked Ryan a question and I can't verbate it exactly how he asked it, but he more than less, he asked Ryan said, you know, when you, most drivers win a race, you go out, you know, you burn the tires off, do a burnout and all that. But Blaney didn't. And Blaney's answer to this media center guy's question was, you know, I look back on, uh, my dad, uh, your David Pearsons, and everybody back in the day, your Kel Yarbers, your Bobby Allisons, uh, Davey Allison, all that bunch. Uh, you know, might go back a little bit further than uh, that. You know, they didn't really do burnouts because it cost them every penny to get to that track. Is what Blaney said. He said, "I did not want to blow my motor up. I did not want to tear the fenders off that car because my crew worked really hard to put me in that car, and I want to save the car." I don't want to tear it up. I don't want to waste money. Are you there, son? Can you hear me? Yeah, sorry. I'm here. I kind of put you on mute there for a second. Okay. That's my fault. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay, bud. Yeah, you know, but... Yeah, no, that's not sorry. You know, this kind of this discussion actually came up on social media here a couple of weeks ago with, you know, uh, you know, fans out there and even some drivers out there saying, you know, they 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 uh you know, would would be glad if they never saw another bird out uh you know, on, on the track. And you know, here again, I, I you know, we're at we're at a we're at a crossroads to to you know, I feel, uh, you know, social media has become, uh, not only, you know, uh, a, a tool for us to connect, but it's also become one of our greatest enemies at the same time. And, exactly. you know, everybody can, everybody can complain about something. Everybody's got a problem with something. Everybody's offended with something in some way, some shape, some form. And, you know, you know, we 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 see these drivers. They see we go out there and celebrate. You know, we've 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 heard from the fans that you know, hey, you know, you're doing celebrations away away from the fans. We can't see the celebrations. And you know, one of the celebrations that are still able to be seen is when those drivers you know do a burnout on on the front stretch or they get out of that car. They you know do climb the fence like Tony Stewart used to do or whatever the case may be. You know, those are one of the few things that the fans can still see the majority of these tracks out here. So, you know, uh, you know, Ryan brings a Ryan brings up an interesting point in the fact that, yeah, you know, can it can it be taken to an excess like we've seen out there before? Yeah, sure. You know, we've seen drivers go out there and blow the tires uh, and tear the fenders completely off of these cars. Um, you know, we've seen them smash noses in. We've seen them 
do all kinds of crazy things out there on the track. Could it be done in moderation? Yeah, sure, it could be done in moderation too. But I think really this just comes down to every driver doing something of their own. To You know, we go back to our previous conversation before. Do we want every driver to come through, take the checker flag, and drive dire- directly to, to, to victory lane? How much fun is that, you know, at the racetrack for the fan to see, you know, the, the driver take the checker flag and go behind the wall and go directly to victory lane, only to watch it on the video screen or hear it on the PA system? It's not. And I think it should be left really to the determination of the driver on, you know, what they feel is an acceptable form of celebration at the end of the day. You know, Alan Quickie when he won the first race at Phoenix International Raceway, he did a he turned his car around and drove backwards because he felt like he should be closer to the fan and there they was instituted the Polish victory lap, which is still used in, in not only NASCAR to this day, but used in other forms of motorsports. And, you know, he he started something there which, you know, nobody has criticized or complained about that. But, you know, I, it just goes back to my statement. If uh, if every driver wants to have their own form of celebration, so be it for them. If if that if Ryan feels that, you know, his acceptable form of celebration is to you know, do whatever the case may be, Austin Dillon, after winning the Coke 600, slides to the infield on its stomach with his crew. You know, <laughs> everybody does something different. Everybody should be entitled to do and how they want to celebrate, and I think that's, you know, what should make, uh, you know, celebrating a win unique to everybody. And nobody should really complain about it. Well said, Stephen. And with that said, let's listen to a little bit about what Ryan Blaney had to say in the meeting center there at Charlotte Motor Speedway after he won a 36 annual Hindsight's 4K TV 300. Okay, we're here with the winner of today's 36 annual Hisense 4K TV 300, and he is the driver of the number 12 snap on Ford for Team Penske, Ryan Blaney. Ryan, this is your fifth win in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, you, the trophy you're taking home is uh, is matched uh, can match your father, Dave Blaney, who took one home in 2006. Here, you've become the first father-son duo to win an Xfinity Series race at Charlotte, and the sixth overall. Pretty good list joining Dale Earnhardt and Dale Earnhardt Jr., Bill Elliott and Chase Elliott, Bobby Hamilton and Bobby Hamilton Jr., Terry Labonte and Justin Labonte, and David Pearson and Larry Pearson. So, a uh, pretty heady group right there. Uh, Ryan, maybe talk about that and and. Uh, and that final restart there where you uh, you overtook uh, Kevin. Yeah, uh, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. And um, Yeah, my dad had a uh, – back then it wasn't the Xfinity Series in 06, but uh, that was pretty neat to, uh, you know, for him to win here. I remember watching that race, and that was a heck of a race, and, and I hope this was a, a great race to watch. It was fun to be a part of. We had um, a really awesome race car all day, uh, having to start in the back. And uh, to be fourth by that first segment in was um, – was pretty impressive. I thought our car was really good at the time. Uh, we made it a little bit better when we got the lead there and was able to kind of control the race that we wanted to. And um, we lost uh, lost the lead there on on the last pit stop. Um, I thought we had a good pit stop. I just kind of got boxed in. I didn't really angle out very well, and that was um, that was on me. Uh, but luckily, we were able to uh, get back on the front row and give us a shot. It was so hard starting third to. And when you only have a couple laps to try to get to the front row, 
that was really tough. And I thought we were going to run out of laps to try to try to make it happen. And um, we were getting really good restarts all day. Uh, once we finally got the pace picked up like it should be, and uh, we were able to shove Kevin in front there, and uh, and get the second, and uh, just gave us a shot, an opportunity to um, to get by him at the end there on the on the last restart. So, uh, you know, props to everybody at, at the Penske Group. It's been a lot of fun to. Uh, you know, be a part of it over the past uh, four years and, and watch it improve and develop. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, the program, that Xfinity program wasn't where it should be uh, this past year. And uh, they've put so much hard work into it in the off season. And I think we finished second four times or three times now. And um, it was nice to finally break through and get back to victory lane with those guys. So they deserve it. Uh, they worked their butts off. And um, it's definitely cool to, to win at a track my father did. It's pretty cool. Thank you, Ryan. We'll uh, open up the questions. We'll start right here. We'll start right here and then we'll go over there. That's fine. Al's first. Bob. Okay. Me or somebody else? You, sir. Oh, okay. Ronnie Al Pearson, Auto Week. Um, do you remember the first time you ran a race with a lot of cup drivers in it and how much you learned that day that, that helped you get along? I'm thinking particularly um, Chris Bell, Christopher Bell finished fourth. The cup guys were one through six except for him. Do you remember the first time you had a really good run against a lot of really good guys and how that helped you later on? Um, yeah, I remember my my first uh, Xfinity start in 2012. We were with Tommy Baldwin's team, and uh, we ran really good that race. We ran up towards the front all race, and there was a bunch of cup guys in that, and I got to race with, with a handful of them. Uh, that whole race, but I want to say my my first time running with a bunch of Cup guys competitively the whole race was uh, the November race at Texas in 2012 when I just got signed with the Penske Group. Um, Kyle Busch was in that race. Uh, Harvick was in it. I was in the 22 car at the time, uh, and there was a handful of others. I think Case Kane was in it, uh, and we raced. I raced with Kevin and Kyle really all race, and that was pretty cool for me to to learn off of them and even in all the truck stuff. You know, I personally enjoy it. You know, when I was a, a trucker, when I was a truck regular, when they would come down and, and race those, um, compete in those races, just because you learn so much from them, whether it's restarts, uh, you know, long run stuff, moving around the racetrack and utilizing utilizing air, that, that just teaches you so much. And I, I didn't get a race around Christopher very much today, but, you know, seemed like he did a really good job. So he got turned earlier, which wasn't his fault. But um, I, I hope it, you know, was, was pretty impressive for him to run up front. And, uh, and run as good as he did and finish that well. But, uh, yeah, I, I loved when I was just getting started to run with the Cup guys. You just learn uh, so much from, from watching them and their little things that they do. Hi, Ryan. Congratulations on the big win today. Hill Overton, WIXC Radio. Uh, even though you're in a lighter, different type of car today and you were in different track conditions than you're going to see tomorrow evening and tomorrow night, what did you learn today that you can apply to that 21 car tomorrow? I thought we learned a good bit. Um, you know, it probably won't be as warm, uh, even at the start of our race that it was right there, but it got shaded a little bit towards, uh, in some parts of that race, and definitely towards the end. Uh, we were able to kind of kind of figure out what our car was going to do, so there's always things you can apply, and I was pretty proud to see the middle and top lane kind of come in a little bit. That was promising. I didn't run much of it. I ran in the middle of one and two most of the day. Uh, but I saw some of the guys running the top of both ends. Hopefully we'll be able to run up there tomorrow in our cup cars and widen it out. But, 
you know, we'll think about it tonight and um, in our meeting tomorrow morning we'll, we'll make changes and a lot of it will be based on not only how the car is driving, how this Xfinity car drove, but the changes we made of what did, you know, certain things. We look at that as much as, you know, how the racetrack was or how the car was driving, just trying to figure out some changes and see if it will help out on that side uh, in similar situations. Bob Pockers, ESPN, did you not try the high side because you didn't want to see whether there was grip up there <laughs> because of the stuff they added, or is that just because where your car was better, and do you think they should add more of that stuff for tomorrow? Um, our car was so good in the middle. I ventured up there a little bit at the end of that second segment. We were out front, and we were able to kind of play around, but I was never really confident in it. I was kind of loose, so I really just didn't want to go up there and make a mistake and smack the fence. So. Uh, it's just my car was running so good in the middle of one and two, I just stuck there. Uh, so I don't have a huge feel for what, what that stuff is. I'm sure, you know, I saw Harvick run up there a good bit. He might be able to give you a better judge of it. But uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't hurt my feelings to maybe see a little bit more applied. Uh, the bad thing is what I've noticed rolling around slow is everyone runs the bottom, bottom, middle. And all the marbles and everything goes up in that, that substance and sticks to it because it's so tacky up there. And then it's hard to get it cleaned off. So I don't know what we have to do to try to help that out for tomorrow. But um, I wouldn't, I don't think it'd be a bad thing to apply a little bit more. I don't think that'd be bad. Brian Steve Reed from the Associated Press. Can you talk about the mentality it takes? I mean, when you're, you end up having to start at the back of the field and the patience you have to have to, to get back to the front. Yeah, it's a lot, I have a lot better patience than what I did a couple of years ago. And um, you learn that as you, you run a little bit more in NASCAR and, and all these series when you have to start in the back or something goes wrong and you, you lose five or ten spots, it's just the patient as, patience aspect of it. Um, you know, we were, we were super, super patient working our way up through the field, starting back, and, and, you know, it helps out when you have a really good car. You know you can be patient, um, and you don't have to worry about the leader coming or something like that, and you have to push hard. But, you know, when you have a great car like that, you don't want to make a mistake when you're trying to come up through the field of hurting it or, or damaging it. That's the last thing you want to do. So. Uh, that's definitely come a long way in the past couple of years uh, from where I used to be. And that's, A, from getting a stern talking to for the most part, and B, trying to tell myself to be more patient. So. Jacob. Jacob Hamlin, Performance Motorsports Network. Two questions, Ryan. First, wow. All right, we'll try that again. First, uh, obviously special with you joining your dad as an Xfinity winner at Charlotte today, but this month and this particular weekend is also special to your car owner, who I know is getting ready for the Indy 500 tomorrow. What's it mean to be able to give Roger a win on Memorial Day weekend where he's had so much success in past years? Well, it means a ton. You know, anytime you can win for, for Mr. Penske is huge. Um, that's super special to me. Um, you know, he's, he's given me really my opportunity uh, pretty much. You know, it was a combination between Brad, Brad's truck team and, and Mr. Penske uh, giving me a shot in 2012, and I've been really lucky to be able to drive great race cars for him. So you want to do the best job you can for, for him, especially, you know, on this weekend where he has the Indy 500. It's such a huge race for them, and, and he's been so dominant in that race. And um, to deliver for him early, hopefully that will put him in a good mood for tomorrow and, um, you know, get those guys going. And as far as the final restart, you versus Kevin, and even going back a little ways, when you got shuffled back with being boxed in on pit road, uh, Brian, when he was in here earlier, said 
it was all about the communication between you two. What, what did you have to do in your head to stay focused and just not let that get to you working your way back through? Well, it comes back to the patience thing. Um, you know, and just trying to keep a calm head. I was pretty upset uh, when we got, you know, at myself when I didn't get into my box very well and didn't angle out. We knew the 39 was going to come in, so it's not his fault. He has to come in, and um, I just didn't do a great job of getting angled out. And um, I was mad at myself for a second, but uh, something nowadays is, is I forget things pretty easy. Um, as in, I think in the past, when you're younger, you dwell over them a lot more and just think about that when now you have to move forward and figure out, okay, how am I going to get back to the front or at least the front row to give ourselves a shot? And that's um, was part of my plan of, of trying to work with Kevin. Um, and we were able to get a good restart and get to the front row and then, you know, eventually the last restart. But uh, our plan, my plan personally went pretty good, uh, surprisingly. Plans really don't ever go your way. Um, I think the second to last restart when we were third and Kevin got the lead and we got the second, that worked out pretty well for us. I was surprised that went our way. And, uh, like I said, then the last one just um, – I figured if we could at least slow them up a little bit off of two, we had them. The, the middle of three and four was iffy on restarts, and, and uh, if we had position just by a nose into three, I thought we could clear them, and, and uh, fortunately we were able to do that. Greg. Oh, hi. Hi, Greg Ingalata Week. Um, pretty simple. I didn't, we didn't see it do like a big, huge, smoky burnout afterwards. Was that intentional? I mean, usually, you know, when you're when you've won, especially something, you know, of course, anyone's special, but you know, I just kind of expected this big burnout. I didn't see that. I just wondered if someone ran with car, did the team say, hey, hold, hold up, or or is it inspection things, or what's going on? You know, everyone nowadays they go out and do big smoky burnouts and tear the race cars up and burn the rear tires off of them and blow them out and ruin the motor. And back in the day, they didn't do that. They just kind of rolled down the front stretch and turned around and waved to the fans and got the checkered flag and went to victory lane. They didn't even pick up a couple crew members on the way. I couldn't find any of my crew members or else I would have picked them up. But uh, that's how they used to do it. I think personally to me that is that is cooler than doing a big smoky burnout and tearing up your race car and hurting the motor. So uh, that was, you know, kind of pre-planned. So. And, Stephen, that was uh, Ryan Blaney there in the media center at Charlotte Motor Speedway after he won the NASCAR Xfinity Series race up there. Uh, the young man, I think, has got a great future. But at this time, Stephen, I want to go on, I want to go ahead and bring on uh, from Fox Sports 1, Mr. Adam Alexander. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Double A, how you doing tonight? Good. How are you guys? We're doing great, Adam. Thank you very much for taking time out to call in. I know your time is limited, but I want to, uh, if I can, before I hand you over to Stephen Wilson at SpeedwayDigest.com, I want to talk a little bit about, if you can, the interview that you had on uh, NASCAR uh, Race Hub last week on Fox Sports 1 with uh, with John Andretti. You know, he's battling uh, stage four colon cancer for some of our listeners that might not know or have might not heard, but uh, that was a great interview, Adam. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I, I appreciate you recognizing that. And, and you know, I, I think if you look at, at what the NASCAR community is doing and how they're rallying around John, it speaks volumes to what kind of person he is and how he went about his business when he was competing on a regular basis in NASCAR, but we, we did go out to John's house a couple of weeks ago. I think if you look at John physically, 
you would never know that he's he's dealing with anything. I know he, he's in the early stages of his chemotherapy treatment, and and so over time he will start to feel the effects of that, and and I, I'm sure physically we'll go through some changes, and and you'll probably notice a difference. But when we were out there, John looked very healthy. Um, his energy level seemed very good, and I just felt like you know, his attitude. If, if you didn't know that John was dealing with what he's dealing with, you absolutely would, would not know that, that this is a guy that's dealing with, with stage four colon cancer. His attitude was very refreshing. I think he's very strong in his faith, and, and his belief is that, that he's going to beat this. And uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you, if, if you spend any time with him at all, you would understand why, because he's just very strong in his belief that, that he's going to overcome this adversity in life, and I have great admiration for him uh, for, for feeling that way. And, Adam, uh, just listening to the interview that you did with him there, uh, it's, it was like he was worried more about everybody, uh, you know, which, you know, we're told it, probably age 50 that we should get checked for, you know, with a colonoscopy. But he was worried more about people getting checked than he was himself, Adam. Well, he he was mad. I think John is mad at himself because, you know, ironically, John's a very healthy guy and, and a guy that's very proactive in his health. Um, he, he believes in preventive health care and staying in front of any potential illness. He gets his annual physicals. He's just never, once he turned 50, and, and 50 is the age they recommend you start getting an annual colonoscopy, and, unless you've got a history of colon cancer in your family or having some sort of an issue that would precipitate you getting it earlier in life, the doctors do recommend you start doing that at age 50. He did not. He's 54. And he knows that if he had been going through that process routinely, that he would have found this issue well before it ever got to where it is, and he would have been fine. And I think he's mad at himself for not taking care of his business. And, and he's disappointed in the grief that he is causing others so he believes because of what he's going through. And, and I, I just think about one of the unselfish attitudes the guy has to be thinking, as you said, about everybody else. And, and there is no doubt. You know, when, when John was racing, he had success. He was just a humble, quiet guy. Uh, but but the fact that he's back in the spotlight now for this, he is using this platform as an opportunity to spread the word to to for to everyone to make sure that you go get checked out so you don't have to deal with with what he's going through. Exactly, Adam. And if I can, uh, I want to use this opportunity. Uh, I'm going to throw my wife out there, Suzanne. Uh, we were at Talladega. It's you know been a while. You know back when John was racing for. Uh, Richard Petty Motorsports there, and uh, we were in the Cup Series garage, and uh, Suzanne had to go to the ladies' room. And I said, well, you know, just it's right straight down through there. Go right through the door. Well, the little window was up, you know, a little bit higher. You know, John's not all that tall. Well, John was coming out the door going into the restrooms there, and Suzanne pulled the door, and it's like John fell just right on her. And then Suzanne said, I'm sorry, John, I didn't. I didn't see you, but uh, just wanted to throw that out there. That was a little funny moment here at Tyler Superfoodway. <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, and, and, you know, John, you know, won twice in his career. He, he won once, I believe, driving the 98 car for Kel Yarborough, and then he won in the 43 driving for Richard Petty uh, at Martinsville. So he, he experienced success. In fact, we, we were talking about how humble John was in his driving days. 
and he said he has one trophy from his racing career, and it's the the clock from Martinsville. So that, that's exactly. one. I think that's one that you never get rid of, and you always cherish. And of course, it's a it's a piece that you'd want to have, you know, in your home or in your trophy room. But uh, John's a guy that that's so humble. Uh, that he he really didn't think about the accolades that, that that came with racing. He just did it was re- really because it was part of his family heritage. Exactly, that grandfather uh, clock from up there at Martinsville uh, at a moment. That is something. I mean, you know, you're gonna hold it, you're gonna lock it up in a safe, or you know, I'd get a humongous safe to lock it up. But uh, Adam, I, I want to change notes a little bit before I th- before I throw you over to uh, Stephen at SpeedwayDigest.com. I got one question. I want to get your take on. Uh, the media center interview there at uh, Charlotte with uh, Kyle Bush and Bob Parker's, you know, uh, how how Kyle acted, you know, which we've been talking about that earlier. We don't know what what perspired before Kyle come into the media center there, but can you, I'd like to get your take on that. Well, you know, all I know, and, and I was not at the track when that took place. I, I was, you know, Kyle did an interview post-race, with Chris Neville on Fox and all drivers in the finish inside the top five are supposed to stop on pit road and go through the media process. And, and Kyle did that and did an interview with Chris. And I honestly, I thought the interview with Chris was great. I mean, he, he, he was disappointed certainly, but I, I thought he gave some, some good answers and uh, was very honest with how he felt, but yet, um, you know, let Chris know that um, he was, he was disappointed. And, um, and and kind of moved on. And then it couldn't have been probably 10 minutes later, whatever the case may be, that, that he was in the media center and visiting with with the media in there. And Bob Cochris asked the question about, you know, being disappointed about finishing second and, and you know, did the three car that obviously made it on fuel mileage. And, and Kyle had, you know, a, a negative tone and um, sarcastically – Offered congratulations to Austin, and um, and that was about it. And you know, kind of dropped the mic, and, and and that was kind of the last question. And he walked out. I, you know what? I, I appreciate the passion that Kyle has. I, I do. I, I, I and I love the fact that he doesn't want to lose. I think when you compete at that level, and and you should be invested to the point where it really bothers you if things don't go your way. You know, having said that, I, I think there are a lot of other people in the industry that, that work hard, um, that that deserve your time, and, and I think those media members do. And Bob Pockers probably works as hard or harder than anybody in the media when you talk about following NASCAR on a weekly basis. So I, I thought Kyle could have been more respectful. I get his frustration, and I'm not sure if there was something that precipitated his behavior in the media center. Um, but uh, that that's kind of my breakdown of what I saw there. Exactly. That's what I saw too, Adam. And, again, thank you very much for coming on. I'm going to hand you over to Stephen Wilson, SpeedwayDigest.com. I'm going to step aside, and Suzanne and I look forward to seeing you. If we don't see you at another track, we'll see you here at Dega in the fall, correct, for the truck race. I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Thank you very much, Adam. Stephen. Adam, appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight. My question I really I want to start out here with, I just want to Google compare and contrasting real quick here. In the Indianapolis 500, there was 35 leads, over 15 drivers. But in the Coca-Cola 600, there was only 23 lead changes 
over 10 drivers. Now, Charlotte Motor Speedway put this VHT down just like they had at Bristol. They brought the Dragons out. The rains came, of course, but this is water-soluble, so it shouldn't have touched it. We never really saw a whole lot of drivers coming up there. Kyle Larson did go up there before he had some incidents out there on the red track, which forced him to retire. We saw Harvard go up there a little bit, but for the most part, we saw a majority of the drivers down at the bottom of the racetrack for a majority of the night. However, the last couple, uh, for the last day, day and a half or so, many of the drivers have been really saying that they like the VHT out there at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So my question to you is, seeing that in 500 miles out there at, at Indy and the amount of passing that we saw there versus the passing that we started at Charlotte Motor Speedway, how, why do you think that the drivers really seem to like the VHT out there considering that not a whole lot of them really went out there and really wanted to race in it? Well, I, I think some of that could be dictated by the fact that when you went under the nights, the grip uh, under the lights, the grip level was so good at the bottom portion of the racetrack um, that that's what dictated the drivers going there and not trying the high lane. I, I think, you know, I always think it's every year at this time we, we make a comparison between the Coke 600 and the Indy 500. And, and I've always said, in my opinion is that you, you can't compare those two races. Um, I, I think that there are many races on the NASCAR schedule um, where we have a lot of lead changes, uh, and, and a mile-and-a-half track is a different style of racing, and, and it's very different than the package that you see for the Indy cars and the Indy 500, and it's, it, you know, it's apples and oranges. And, and so, therefore, I, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to compare the stats of those two races. And I would say that in regard to the VHD, I think it was an effort by NASCAR and the drivers and the track to put on a better show. I think there were a lot of complaints following the all-star race about the amount of passing and the use of the high lane. And I think that the VHD was uh, an effort to try and improve that. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I think it, it really helped on Saturday in the Xfinity race. But I, I think, you know, Larry McReynolds said it best on, on our program following the All-Star event. Charlotte Motor Speedway is a track where passing is more conducive during the day uh, because of the less grip that you see on track. And at night, that thing cools off, the grip is up, and it makes it very difficult to go to that highlight. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, there, there's a lot of complexions out there, and in all fairness, you know, I, there is a lot of differences in this, even though that there was more lead changes in the Indianapolis 500. There was only about 560, 570 quality passes into it. However, the Coca-Cola 600 had 903 quality passes. So, you know, in all fairness to the conversation, you know, there, there's there's the trade-off there. So, you know, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I know that it's apples and oranges sometimes, but there is a fairness and there is a balance to this at the same time. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a question sometimes that some people always think about. You know, Charlotte Motor Speedway, oh, over the last couple of years, they've tried this and they've tried, uh, you know, different formats that we've seen in the, in the all-star race. Um They've announced that in 2018 they're going to go to this Roval. However, A.J. Allmendinger, in his media 
uh, availability just this past weekend or the weekend prior said that he doesn't feel like that, even though that he tested there, he doesn't feel like uh, it's going to produce the racing that everybody is looking for. And, I, you know, this is coming from a Rolex 24 winner who's raced on what we can consider the Roval at, at Daytona. What do you think about some of his comments when it comes to the Roval there at uh, Charlotte when we, when we get there way, I mean, we're talking way, way into the future in 2018, but I think it, you know, kind of holds a little bit of weight already. Well, I, I think, it, you know, it, it's interesting to me that the one complaint that race fans have had have, have been with the number of mile and a half tracks on the playoff schedule. And I think I think the effort to go and and run the road course at Charlotte Motor Speedway is that to get away from another mile and a half in the playoffs. Um, I know AJ did test there, and I don't think there's anyone more qualified to test than AJ. Um, and I would say that his comments are going to trump mine because I, you know, I just don't know what what kind of race it, it, we will put on or what kind of show we will have. I, I will say this, you know, from a media perspective, um, I'm very excited about the fact that we're going to be on the road course. I've, I've seen a lot of races in my time on mile-and-a-half tracks. I've seen some great ones. But I, I do think there is some intrigue in moving a race to the road course. And, and I think the other thing is NASCAR is really handcuffed in what they can do as far as scheduling because they've signed contracts with, with all of these tracks. And and so if Charlotte Motor Speedway is going to keep their playoff date and, and, and there's an opportunity to mix it up and put it on the road course, I think that's a great idea. Is it going to be a, a great race? I, I don't know that. And I, I think A.J. making his comments comes from a very educated place because he's tested there, and A.J.'s probably the best road racer we have in NASCAR right now. But I, I know this from a, a fan's perspective and a media perspective, I'm I'm excited to see what transpires. I don't know that it will be better than the 500-mile race that, that's been at Charlotte Motor Speedway on the Oval in years past and, and what we'll see when we when we go there in October this year. Uh, but I, I do think the fact that the playoffs starting in 2018 will only have four mile and a half. We'll have a couple of short tracks with Richmond moving into the playoffs, and, and obviously Martinsville's already there. And now the road course in Charlotte, I like the, the versatility that's now been placed uh, into the playoffs, and, and it'll be interesting to see uh, who that favors. You know, my my last question is is, is kind of centered around you know some of the changes in 2018, but you know taking it just one step further into this, you know NASCAR, as everybody knows, we instituted the stage racing here in in 2017. However, you know Pocono has reduced their races down to 400 miles. They're also going to go this year to a one, uh, to a qualifying and race on the same same day. Do you think in 2018 that it or well not in 2018 but beyond 2018 it's time for NASCAR to start looking at some of these tracks that are just way too long. We've gotten to a point where social media has just taken over, and we're obviously losing you know, the, you know, people's attention spans that 
we start reducing down some of the lengths of these races, considering the historical nature of some of the, you know, the history of behind racing in NASCAR was never any more than two or 300 laps in general. And moving instead to qualifying and racing on the same day so people get the same amount of what they considered a, uh, you know, a quality ticket price out of, even though that they reduced uh, you know, laps off or miles off a race, they still get to see qualifying on the same day? Well, I, I know that we're going to see that and I, I, later this year, uh, and, and I, I would say it's a possibility down the road that, that we, will, we will see qualifying and racing on, on the same day uh, more frequently. Uh, I know it's a model that NASCAR has talked about. To, to my knowledge, it's not going to change the length of the races, and that's not what precipitated Pocono going to 400 miles. Pocono's been, um, you know, 400 miles for a, a few years now, so that that's not something that, that's changed. I I do think, though, that, that there is a, a little bit of a cry out there from some to reduce the length of the races. I, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon for a couple of reasons. One, television is paying a lot of money for the broadcast rights, and the best way for them to make that money back is that commercial time. And and the reason that we went to the stage format in 2017 was to break up these races and create more moments. You know, it's interesting. Our 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 research at Fox um, says that the races aren't too long. What what has hurt is that there aren't enough moments. You know, college football is in a similar window as a NASCAR cup race when you look at time of day. And college football ratings are on the rise. And so our our research shows that it's it's not an attention span thing. It's not a social media thing. It's a moments thing. And by going to the, the stage format, uh, I think the hope and belief is that you create moments in races and, and therefore you have reasons to watch like on Sunday night at lap 100, 200 and 300, where before it may be in the midst of a long green flag run. Now, you know, a caution is coming and, and it's the stages that are, that are going to be the change that is made and not the reducing of the races. I, I would be very surprised if any time soon that any of these races were, were cut in distance. And, and, you know, I, I know you just talked just a little bit on, on the research that you guys have seen. Have, have, from your guys' perspective, have you seen those moments start to develop uh, aside from what we saw at Daytona with the obvious uh, more cautions this year than we saw in 20, uh, 2016? Um, you know, have those, you know, have those moments developed for you guys as you uh, hoped for? Well, for me, yes. I mean, I can't, I can't speak for, for you know, those that are watching, um, but there's no doubt about it. I mean, you, you know, I, I think people are really going to start to understand how important stage victories are once we get into the playoffs. I mean, you, you look, Martin Truex Jr. is dominating these stages. Kyle Larson is dominating these stages. Look at the points. I mean, the the importance of what we are seeing in these stages is going to bear out when we get into the playoffs. Um, I, I, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you, you want to win the stage. 
and and we love restarts as a race fan. I think it's some of the best times um, of a race is is when we restart. And if you have a caution, you know you're going to get a restart. So for me, yes, there's no doubt about it. I don't I don't I feel like you're kind of trying to take me down the road here, but I, I certainly endorse it. <laughs> No, I'm not trying to take you down any road. I, I, I was just curious, as you know, you had talked what do you about think? the research. What's your system. opinion? What's your opinion of it? Uh, I'm, I'm, look, I'm, 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 I'm just trying to be as unbiased or uh, as unbiased as possible about this thing. Um, you know, aside you, from Daytona, I mean, are which you a race fan? I'm just, I'm just curious if you like it. I mean, you know, in our business, we always want to know kind of, you know, what people think. I'm just curious what, what you think of it. I mean. Uh, well, you know, I'm, I, I'm a fan. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still sitting on the fence here. I, you know, what I, the one thing I do like about it that I'm, I'm, I'm very much in favor of is I like the fact that, you know, these stage points are counting towards the end of the year. It's making these drivers get back up on the wheel and actually drive a lot, a lot harder in, in various stages of the race that we've not seen before. Um, the the one side that I'm still trying to sit on the fence about, and you know I'm hoping that we can uh, you know address the problem. And I know NASCAR has said that they're working on it. Is is that you know we've seen the varying amount of time uh, that it's taken to get the stages reorganized and back under green from anywhere from um, you know 18 to 20 minutes all the way down to about you know 12 uh, 11 minutes. So I mean it's been a varying array depending on which track we've been at. So that I think you know has killed a little bit of the momentum from my perspective. So that's why I'm trying to like sit on the fence and hope that NASCAR, you know, as they continue to say they're working to perfect it, you know. And I know it's a new program, so I don't really want to jump to any conclusions right at this point. But as I said, I really like the fact that we're getting these stage, you know, getting these stage points. I've I've said long before we really need to give drivers an incentive, whether it's for qualifying, whether it's more points for winning a race, whether it's for leading at halfway, whatever the case may be, but we need to do something to incentivize these drivers to go out there and race harder throughout the race, and that's exactly what I think these stage breaks have done. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, well, Adam, uh, I know we've taken you uh, probably a little bit longer than uh, you probably agreed to be on tonight, and I do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, before we let you get out of here, let everybody know how they can follow you on social media. And uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck on Fox um, throughout your broadcast coming up. And uh, uh, I, I know I won't have the time to see you at the track because I think uh, we're going to miss each other, but I think Tim will see you. And uh, like I said, let us know how we can follow you on social media, and we'll let you get out of here. Thanks again. I do okay, appreciate your time lot. tonight. I'm at uh, Adam, the number one Alexander on Twitter, and that's about the extent of my social media. So if you want to send me a tweet there, that'd be great. And thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. Stephen, that was Adam Alexander there uh, from Fox Sports 1. He does a great job in the NASCAR Capital Truck Series and everything else that he talks about. But, Stephen, let's take a little quick break. If we can, I know you need a breath. I need a breath, which I've already took my breath while you were talking to Adam. But let's take a little quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about some of the NASCAR Sprint Cup. Uh, here I go again. The Monster Energy.
NASCAR Sprint Cup Series there at Charlotte. Uh, I'm Tim Despain, live from Talladega, Alabama, alongside my good friend, CEO of SpeedwayDiedish.com, from up in the Commonwealth of Virginia, Mr. Stephen Woods. We'll be right back after this quick break. It all. My heart and my mind was plenty able And hurting since you gave me that last call But I pushed it away and said, hell no Tonight I think I'll just drink plain cold It'd be a waste of good whiskey It'd be a waste of my time Cause they don't make Jack strong enough Get you off my mind There really ain't nothing that can fix me I can drink it all But you still wouldn't miss me It'd be a waste of good whiskey I took an old shot glass from the cabinet And I got to thinking on second thought I might need the courage in that box To go ahead and give you a call I poured it out and put it to my lips And then I just poured it back in It'd be a waste of good whiskey It'd be a waste of my time Cause they don't make Jack strong enough To get you off my mind There is Driver of the number 12 Dex Imaging Toyota Camry, and you're listening to Pit Stop with Tim Despain. We're back live from Duggan Nation. I'm Tim Despain, alongside my good friend and partner, Commonwealth of Virginia, Mr. Stephen Wilson, SpeedwayDigest.com. The number to call in is 215-383-3681. That was my good friend just south of me here, uh, Ashland, Alabama, Mr. Kevin Moon with Good Whiskey. Stephen, uh, that was a good interview with Double uh, A there. He had a lot of good insight, but Yeah, it did. 
And, you know, I, I, I generally like to ask everybody, you know, their insights on a lot of different topics out there. And that's why I asked him about the stage-based racing out there is because, you know, everybody has a top, uh, everybody has an opinion on it. It's still fairly new. I mean, we're only, uh, you know, we are a third away through the season, but this, you know, this new stage-based racing is still new to NASCAR. It's still new to all of the series out here and the way that it works. And, you know, people still have questions for it. And people, some people are still trying to form their own opinions of it. And, you know, uh, I'm not trying to shape anybody's opinion one way or the other. And, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, as long as we can get an opinion from a lot of different people out here, I think it only helps to encourage the conversation as far as uh, people learning about it and uh, maybe forming their own opinion at the end of the day, whether it's, you know, good, bad, indifferent, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Exactly, Steve. I mean, you know, just like me and you've talked about uh, some of this stuff. I mean, you know, we have a – you and I probably need a secretary. I mean, you know, Anne-Marie can be your secretary and Suzanne can be mine. But, Stephen, uh, we we are – Past the top of the hour, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about Austin Dillon. Uh, the number three car went to Victory Lane at Charlotte Motor Speedway this past weekend. And uh, and like you and Double A were talking, uh, he wanted on fuel mileage. That's probably what pissed Kyle Bush off. But I mean, you know, that's another subject we've already talked about that. But uh, talk a little bit about uh, let us know everything there that went on uh, with the three car winning uh, winning there the 58th annual Coca Cola 600. Well, I think we pretty much covered that. Uh, you know, yeah, we did. He, he stressed that thing. You know, he he stressed that thing out on fuel mileage. Uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson was en route to uh, to win this thing before he ran out of fuel. Uh, he, Austin Dillon, he was hanging it out there to see if he could uh, do it, and he took home the win and uh, got one lap around the track and got back to the check flag, uh, you know, back to the starter stand on a cool down lap and ran out of fuel as also. So that's how close he was his own, uh, to running out of fuel. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, there, there was a small for strong cars out there. You know, Martin Church Jr. himself, he was very strong throughout the entire night. Kyle Busch, like I said, you know, Kyle Busch was very strong. Uh, but he just was not strong enough to get around Martin Truex Jr. Has he been out front in any semblance? Uh, there was just no way he was going to get around him. Uh, every time that Martin Truex got out front, he uh, just seemed to be able to just get away um, from the entire field and uh, pick up one and a half, one seven, uh, very very quickly. Uh, Johnson was able to catch him at one point in the race. I think he had about a 1.1, 1.2 second lead over the entire field, and Johnson was able to track him down. Uh, but that was about the only time I think we saw throughout the race anybody was able to even remotely catch Martin Truex Jr. But Jimmy Johnson had one heck of a time getting around him once he did uh, track Martin Truex Jr. down. Yeah, and I had Jimmy Johnson in my fancy racing league there, and that just killed me, which uh, I'm not going to lie, Stephen. I mean, uh, whatever time the checker flag fell, you know, they had that rain delay, whatever time it fell. I think, I think it was after midnight my time, probably after 1 a.m. Yeah. your time. I, I could 12, not stay up to watch it. I told Suzanne. 12.24 a.m. 12.24 a.m. I told Suzanne, I said, I – 
I can't stay up. My eyes just won't let me. But, Stephen, uh, I would play some of the media center stuff. Let's go ahead and close everything out. Uh, I want to give a big thanks to uh, Adam Alexander there from Fox Sports 1 coming on. Thank you very much for coming on. And I think I have uh, – do you have the schedule for Dover International Speedway coming up this weekend? Yeah, I have everything up. All right, let, her, let all, all of the listeners know uh, radio coverage and TV coverage this weekend at Dover and National Speedway, but you got the floor. Well, all three series are in action this weekend from Dover. Uh, uh, Dover is the monster mile out there. Uh, starting Friday afternoon, NASCAR Camp World Truck Series qualifying 235 at all times for Eastern uh, to be immediately followed at 350 for Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series qualifying out there. MRN, they've got your uh, coverage out there. Fox Sports 1 uh, coverage for that. Uh, Fox Sports 1 on the air. Uh, NASCAR Camper World Truck Series Bar, Bar Harbor 200. 200 last 200 miles uh, out there for the Camper World Truck Series uh, on Friday afternoon. Uh, Saturday, uh, we've got NASCAR Xfinity Series qualifying at 10.05 a.m. for the NASCAR Xfinity Series One Main Financial 200 that will kick off. This will be at uh, 1 o'clock, 200 miles, 200 laps for them. And then on Sunday, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series qualifying uh, at 1 o'clock, Fox Sports 1. Uh, 400 laps, 400 miles, AAA, 400 from the Monster Mile out there at Dover International Speedway. And for the rest of the season, Fox Sports 1 will be your coverage for NASCAR. None of the races will be on Fox for the rest of the year. They will be going to Fox Sports 1 for all your coverage for all three series. So there you go. That's what's going on. Thank you very much, Stephen. And, again, we will be live back here again next weekend. I mean, next weekend. What am I, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about racing. Next Tuesday night from Dagan Nation and uh, my good friend there, Stephen Wilson, uh, SpeedwayDigest.com. Stephen, let everybody know if they can follow you at on social media. You got the floor. You can follow us at SpeedwayDigest on Twitter, Facebook.com, forward slash SpeedwayDigest. And... SpeedwayDigest.com, and uh, I've got nobody going to the racetrack this weekend, so that'll be the first time in, uh, I don't know, nearly a month, month and a half or something like that. Yeah, I know, Stephen. You've had uh, all your riders, and including me, which I'm not a rider because I can't die, but you've had us all spread out the whole year, and now it's sort of, you know, we're going to have to rely on social media and our PR stuff. but Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, summer months. Uh, yeah, summer months. That, uh, they they start moving a little bit away from us all over the place. So, uh, yeah, hard to get, hard hard to start tracking, uh, you know, traveling too much. Well, you know, Stephen, we do all we can. We do all we do all we can for the radio and uh, for you and Speedway Digest. But, uh, Stephen, thank you very much for being a good friend and a good co-host. And uh, we're going to say good night. From Talladega, Alabama, we'll see you next Tuesday night. Uh, I'm Tim Spain with Pit Stop Radio alongside SpeedwayDigest.com. It's Stephen Wilson next Tuesday night, uh, 7 Eastern Time. Stephen, tell AM and the boys we said hello, and we'll talk to you next week, my friend.
There's only one way 